and welcome to another but shortened edition of the usually serviceable, hopelessly miscast podcast here at GCT. We uh, thankfully, for those four of you who listen, you may be glad that Brian's not here today. Uh, and we also will have no features today, probably a lot of applause for that, um, or I'll add it in so that we act like we're a studio audience or something like that. But we do have not only our esteemed technical director, Marcus Brown, here at GCT, he's also the director of our upcoming production of Outside Mullingar, which will open next, we're taping this on Thursday, March 10th, it will open a week from today, is that correct? That's right, on St. Patrick's Day. There you go, how fitting, so for those of you who don't know, it is it is Irish, so, uh, or you'll definitely notice some Irish theme in the show, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Irish accents, theming. Uh, speaking ways of putting things, all that kind of stuff. And all the charming, wonderful things we Americans love about Ireland <laughs> right. will be in there. Exactly. So, um, but what we wanted to do for you listeners is give you kind of a, a taste of what's coming, and uh, we hope you come out and see it. It's going to be an amazing show. It had a great Tony run a few years back. Um, so, and this will be a regional premiere, as was our last show, and our next two shows after it are regional premieres. So. You're going to see a lot of new content in this area for these shows. So really looking forward to it, but let's get into the meat of it with our director. So can you kind of first give us an overview of what the show is for those who don't know? Sure. Uh, I'll do my best. You know, when the cast and I get together to talk about how to talk about the show, it's actually kind of tough because it's, it's not an easy one to describe. Uh, I think if you had to slap a genre label onto it, uh, like you would a film, you'd probably call it a romantic comedy. And I, you know, some people uh, may be familiar with the fact that there was a movie version of the story that came out year before That's last right. called Wild Mountain Time, which got mixed reviews for good reason. But I would like to argue that the, the original script made to be produced on stage is significantly different than the movie and streamlined in the way that you really want this story to be told, I think. Okay. Um, it's written by John Patrick Shanley. Um, and, uh, you know, listeners might be familiar, theater goers will be familiar uh, with him as the person who wrote Doubt, you know, another great small cast show filled with really intriguing dialogue and character creation. But he also, he also wrote the uh, screenplay for Moonstruck. Which oh, is I a, did not a, know yeah, that. Hila- wow. You know, hilarious. He, he loves to create characters. Right. Uh, <laughs> Um, and is great with dialogue. So um, I, I think that's really wonderful. And, and really, you know, I never like to describe a show as a talkie play because people immediately go like, oh, that's going to be boring. <laughs> right. I would say it is a lot of talking, <laughs> yeah. and it is never boring. I it's agreed. Really, uh, it, I think it's really fantastic. First of all, we get those nice, charming uh, Irish accents throughout the whole thing. <laughs> but uh, the way he writes, you know, the dialogue is so much about what's, under being said, you know, it's all subtext. It's what's not being said. Um, but the basic story is you've got uh, two rural Irish farming families who have adjacent properties. And um, they've, uh, you know, we basically got a man and his son. The man is, they don't really say his age, but I think he's in his 70s. His son is in his 40s, it's about that age gap. And similarly, their neighbors are a woman and her daughter, about the same age gap. Um, and uh, we open the story up after having just attended a funeral. So it seems like it may be starting on a down note. But um, 
uh, Christopher Muldoon, a character that's spoken of but never seen because we were just coming home from his funeral in the very first scene, is a presence kind of over the whole thing. And his daughter and wife are the farming family that live next door to our friends Anthony and Tony. Um, it's funny because uh, John, uh, Mr. Shanley, did not shy away from giving characters the same names in this at all. <laughs> no, absolutely uh, not. Anthony's mother's name was Mary, and, uh, you know, our kind of leading role, woman role in this is Rosemary, sometimes referred well, to as A lot as of good Mary. solid Irish names <laughs> right? in there, too. And Anthony and Tony. <laughs> right. and they never use a junior. It's just it's right. Anthony or it's Tony, and sometimes they even call Anthony Tony. But don't worry, it's not as confusing as it sounds in the actual show. Um but so, you know, they're neighbors and there's land disputes and there's a lot of love, but a lot of, of uh, contention between them as well. And of course, the underlying theme of the whole thing is there is a budding, you know, possible romance between two of the main characters. And I almost don't even like giving that much away because it starts in a way that you don't really know if it's going to go that direction or not. Uh, but by about halfway through, you're definitely hoping that it does. Right. Yes, I, and I'll say that from the perspective of when Brian and I uh, do part of the job of you know selecting what we're going to read mm-hmm. for seasons, there you know I'm I'm not as much of a theater buff as some others, but I will say that you know I've read a lot of these, and there's not the majority of them don't first read jump off the page. Right. This one did, and yes. I'm, I'm not trying to exaggerate for anyone. This one did jump off the page of. I can not only totally see this in our space here at GCT, which I think we can do a lot of unique things with even when I first read it, and now we can do more because of our enhancements, but also it just, the, the dialogue, I mean, like you said, it's it's there's almost a Sorkin-esque quality to it at sure. times yeah. where it is it is snap, 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 but it's not so much that you get annoyed by it. Right. And it's, you know, that... That's what I'm always concerned with when somebody says, oh, it's a dialogue heavy. <laughs> right, is it going to right. become very exhausting to sort of, okay, here's a tennis match that's going at, you know, 78 on the RP. For the those of you who know what an LP is, on the record spinner, <laughs> will it go 78? Or can I manage it in my brain? And I think you can in this case. Yes. yeah, And, you know, with the actors, you know, they're all regional actors. They're all from right here around the Memphis area. Some of them have been practiced in doing dialects and different European uh, accents before. Uh, Tony Isbell is a member of our cast who plays Tony. I think he told me this is the first time he's ever played someone named Tony, which is hard for me to believe because wow. Tony's been at this for a few decades around here. He's a, one of our best fantastic actors. Agreed. Um, and I've seen different shows with him kind of doing this same accent. But, you know, it's been work. And so I, I won't lie about having a little trepidation at the beginning not only is it fast-paced dialogue, but then you're also dealing with layering these accents on top of it. But I'll tell you, once we got more and more into the accents, it actually helps the pace. It's so well written by by uh, John Patrick Shanley, who has an Irish background himself. Um, it's so well written that uh, in the dialect, all of their intention, all of their wit, all of their charm, it just comes out in their dialogue with each other. And it really pops, and it never feels like a drag. Right. So it's, uh, I'm very excited about that. It is, you say Sorkin-esque, it is in there. There's a lot of wit, there's a lot of information being shared. And um, I don't ever feel like people in the audience will feel like they're being left behind or that there's something they're not catching. Right. Well, I will say, I do think it's the kind of show people might want to come back and see again, just because of the way the story unfolds. There's information that's given in the first half that we don't quite put together the puzzle pieces right. until... 
you know, until things unfold further. Right. Yeah. Some of these aha moments that catch you and, you know, a lot of times people say that with a film, you know, it's, oh, I watched it the second time and I picked up so much more because I knew what was coming. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I would definitely say that's a, that's a great point. Yeah. So, yeah. so in, in, along those, those lines, I mean, what, what kind of, what would you see as the major themes running through the show? Sure. Um, yeah, I, I think there's some very important ones. It's, yeah, I, you know, we say over and over again, it's really hard to describe this show to people because it's hard to say if they say, so what happens? Well, first of all, you don't want to reveal too much because there's some information that is especially designed to be revealed at the moment that it's supposed to be revealed, right? Like many good stories. Right. But you might think that, that well, then is it a mystery? No, it's not a mystery at all. It's, <laughs> right. uh, it is, honestly, what it comes down to it, it is people dealing with the expectations that are put on them either through tradition or through responsibility. Um, it's people dealing with the perceptions of themselves and learning how to accept other people as they are. You know, so really the basis of the show is you have these two different generations. The older generation that's been farming in a very traditional conservative Irish way for decades and decades, doing it the same way their parents had done before. And then you have this upcoming generation, you know, people that at the beginning of the show are in their 30s to 40s. So, you know, they're looking at middle age, but they're still upcoming younger generation and they see things slightly differently. But you've also got individuals who are dealing with a lot of things like insecurity and maybe even a little bit of uh, mental unwellness or in, uh, unwellness or instability. And uh, because of that, they see themselves in a certain way. And they have to learn to accept, not just the other, like the older generation not only has to learn to accept that things are changing in the new upcoming, you know, decades, not just in farming, but just in the world, in their community. But um, the younger generation is dealing with not only the expectations that are put on them because of tradition, but accepting themselves and the fact that, you know, it's a new world. There, we're running into more and more kinds of people every day. I mean, it's a good thing. Our concentric circles are getting larger. Right. And, um, you know, we all know that over the last few years, I think the world has kind of come into a greater level of awareness of uh, not only how the great variety of the world, but that we can no longer just hold on to old ideals and isolate ourselves from everyone else and just live a certain way. And, you know, isolation is kind of a theme as well. Right. The story never goes outside the bounds of these two small farmhouses that are very close to one another. Um, and one of the funnier things about the entire piece is there's a tiny patch of land that's, you know, only a few yards large that they're constantly kind of bickering about. Who right. does it belong to? Um, and that is something that the more research I did, I realized is uh, extremely Irish as well. They refer to it as... <laughs> our right of way. And well, there's examples of this in America and all over the world too. It's very funny. There's large tracts of, of land in Ireland where a farmer will have had this farmland in their families for generations, but about a mile of road or something might be owned by someone else. And it could be a mile of road that smack dab in the middle of their land or something. Right. So that, you know, right. who has the right to be there? Do you have the right to plant things? You know? And so, uh, the fact that that's a real thing that's, that's been around in Ireland, you know, forever, uh, is, is something they focus on. Um, they use it not just as a metaphor, but they use it to great effect in this play too. Right. No, it's, yeah, that's, uh, that's awesome. And I, I, the, the one thing I'd say too, that, you know, jumps out is that 
a lot of times what you know all of what you described it's i'm not going to say it's easier but it seems more you hear those things and you think oh it's it's a drama it's a drama and there's not going to be a lot of humor to it i think this does a great job of it's got a lot of humor in it oh absolutely and yeah. there's there's also a couple of moments at least in reading it and which is why you know i'm looking forward to hearing what people say when they see it mm-hmm. there's a couple of moments even when you read it you it's sort of that delayed reaction of yes. wait what did, what did she say exactly. and then you go reread it and so i want to see if it's the same reaction when people see it like you know it's it's almost funnier because you hear it and then 3 seconds later your brain goes ah yeah. now i get what she's ha that's funny you know so and it's it's very organic that it way, is, so. yeah. It kind of throws you right into into the middle of these conversations between these people who've known them, known each other for a very long time. Right. So you're kind of thrust into this conversation that may seem odd, but very quickly you get comfortable with these people. You sink in. They're a family, essentially. Right. right. And I feel like you fall right into their patterns. But then, as you say, something will come up or something <laughs> will be said, and it 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 it's confusing. But it's it's meant to be some strange reveal but it's just as confusing to the people up there as it is to the people right. in the audience you're never really thrown for a loop except for you know when we want you to be right exactly yeah. so so what you know what would you say in your mind have been uh, what you know even going into it and now you're like okay not so much or yeah that was definitely true what are the biggest challenges as the director and also as the tech director uh bringing this show to life on our stage well i you know i do feel like I've seen production photos and some clips of other productions of the show, and sometimes it's done on a very large stage. As we know, we have a very small stage. But I, there's nothing about this show that would say it can't be done very successfully in a, in a small way. There are really only a few spaces that are represented, um, and they're mostly inside small rural kitchen, or small kitchens within a small rural farmhouse in Ireland. It's just it's two different farmhouses. So... We've got to represent those two different spaces. We've got to represent some beautiful Irish farming landscape as well. So I did have to figure out, uh, both as a, the designer and the director, how are we going to represent these things on stage? And you know, having our awesome digital wall helps a lot. Right. I decided to incorporate one of the major themes within the storytelling, and it's it's not even suggested to do this in the script. I kind of took it on myself as a transition element between scenes to incorporate two large gates that have to be opened and closed to separate the interior scenes from the exterior scenes. Because as I mentioned, that one track of land or the right-of-way they discuss, the most frustrating thing to the two men that live in their farmhouse is that just in order to get between where they live and where they farm, every single time they leave their home, they have to open these two giant gates that block off that one track of land that are owned by the women in the (laughs) other farmhouse. And uh, it's a very frustrating thing for them. So I incorporated the movement of those two big gates. It's not exactly a literal translation of those gates, but uh, you you see often, especially young Anthony, having to go out there just to move the forward with the story. He has to go out there and trudge those gates open. Um, But we do some really cool scrim work where you can see some lovely Irish countryside uh, through the gates or when they're open beyond the gates. And then that same area is used to represent those kitchens. So, you know, it, it has been interesting translating those areas to that stage. Um, one, one huge advantage, I think, of our space for this particular show is that it is, um, you know, it's dialogue. It's often conversation between either two or three people. In fact, that's all it ever is. It's right. two or three Very people, intimate. often two. Yeah. 
And uh, our stage provides just enough space to do that very effectively. Right. right? They, uh, you know, there are times when a character specifically mentions how trapped he, how trapped he feels sometimes, especially in this moment in the kitchen with this woman throwing a barrage of questions at him. <laughs> right. And uh, what a great space to feel trapped in. You know, there's right. nowhere right. he can go. Oh, that's I've true. even that's built true. a smaller stage on our small stage, and so there's really <laughs> no escaping it right. um, for those moments. But, uh, yeah, no, I think it actually is a, it's a very appropriate space for putting on this production. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, because of the rescheduling we've had to do throughout the season – we are finding some pretty quick turnaround times between the end of one show and the beginning of another. So, you know, it, it has been a challenge and it will continue to be a challenge. Uh, not one that we can't meet. We just get creative as we uh, take down one set and put up the next in kind of record time. Right. Um, but I am very pleased with how it's going right now. We're pretty much putting on the detail work on the set as we speak this week to be ready for uh, next week's opening. Well, that's great. And it, yes, that, that's a great point. I mean, I know... All of us know dealing with COVID and the pandemic and all that, but yeah, I mean the you and I and others having sat on several meetings where we're discussing what can we do with the schedule that you know that in and of itself just the timing is such a challenge because I mean in a normal season even that can be a crunch. So oh, sure. crashing the schedule together like this, yeah, that that makes it even that much more important to. We got to be on the ball and bang, bang, bang. Things have to happen. Oh, tear down, start building. I you know, or it, it's true. I, I, what I, one thing I found very cool though is uh, when we were considering how we were going to restructure a few things on our season. The show was not meant to open on St. Patrick's Day, right? But we found with the way we kind of wanted to swap some things around and change dates, and then also include a Thursday night performance. We usually just do Friday through. But uh, we're only going to be offering the show for two weekends instead of three. So we're offering Thursday nights and a second show on one of our Sundays so that we're still making up all those shows. But it just so happened, I said, ooh, if we do that and if we open it right here, <laughs> we can open the show on St. Patrick's Day. And I right. was all in at that point. Because uh, I, I, I honestly, you know, I have a lot of Celtic heritage in my background, which is one of the reasons that when I found out that the position to direct this one became open, I, I was like, me, me. Yes. I love <laughs> right. John Patrick Shanley. Um, and, uh, you know, St. Patrick's Day is one of those holidays for us where it's just kind of like we've either commercialized it or we just don't really observe it or we just go have a few Guinness and we call it good and that's fine. <laughs> so to have a reason to celebrate and to have a real thing to be like, hey, this year it's going to be great. We're going to be opening a show about Irish heritage. I mean, it's not about Irish heritage, but, you know, it's got that flavor right. to it, which is really nice. Um, it felt right. It felt good. There's probably some people who have Irish uh, relatives or are from Ireland who would say, oh, there's a lot of heritage in there. Sure. Trust, and sure, not sure. all of it's the ones that we, we appreciate <laughs> right. fondly. We'll say that, but, but it's okay. I mean, it's, uh, it's portrayed in such a way that I think is, it, it will, it will make you say, okay, I feel like the, even if you know nothing about Ireland, it, it will represent enough to you that you get it. Absolutely. And then really the story itself, the story between the characters, what unfolds, it could happen anywhere. In the right. World. And very I think human. I, I think I've thought a lot about that recently, that it's a very kind of, I, I like to say it happens in a charming Irish vacuum because it's, it's these farm folks on the farm. They never really go anywhere. They're, the reason it's called outside Mullenbar is the fact that nothing happens outside of Mullenbar right. in this play. It all is there. They even mentioned no one's ever going to even leave these, these county lines. Um, but the idea that the story being told, very Irish flavored, it's got a lot of Irish charm to it, 
Um, but it is a story that could unfold anywhere in the world. Right. Agreed. So not to be a spoiler, but what what is one of your favorite funny or hard-hitting or tender <laughs> moments in the show? I know there's many, but there, there's many. What's, I mean, there's, what's one you'd pick? It's, it's a fairly short show. We're going to be presenting it without an intermission. So there are technically seven scenes altogether, I think, but more like six, because one's practically just a transition. Right. But in every single one of those scenes, there's moments that are hard-hitting, poignant, funny. Um, there is a scene smack dab in the middle of the show that is extremely touching and would probably sound quite cheesy and schmaltzy when it's described but oof the way it's written and the way it's performed by my my two fellas is great and you know this isn't too much of a spoiler to say i think um but uh again dealing with the concepts of the older generation and the younger generation and how are these farms going to continue into the future when we're gone death really is a theme that carries all the way throughout the play Yep. And um, nobody in the play is particularly afraid of death. It really is just part of their existence. Um, but they are kind of afraid of how things are going to get passed down to the next generation. How are things going to continue? Sure. How are our names going to survive? Um, but there is what is essentially a deathbed scene uh, right in the middle of the play. And boy, oh boy, uh, while there are moments of levity and it is a very funny show, not in the way that it's a slapstick, you know, slapstick comedy, but the writing is quite funny. Um, but it's also quite touching. And I got to say, it's, it's, um, it's a scene that there's almost not a dry eye in rehearsal <laughs> to read right. the scene when it's acted out. And uh, so, you know, bring tissues because it is going to be <laughs> um, a poignant scene for sure. Right. Um, so I would say that's one of the more hard-hitting scenes just as, as far as you know, effective and affecting the audience. And you see some stellar performances in that moment. But again, it's hard to, it's hard to pick one because right. throughout, there are some really lovely, funny scenes. Uh, the final scene of the show, it could essentially be a one-act play in and of itself. And it's just our two actors, um, Stephen Garrett and Emily Draffin, who are married in real life, by the way. Yes. You'll notice mentioned. the chemistry. <laughs> yeah, I mentioned to say that their chemistry is spot on, and they are so funny, and they're so charming, and they're so... Um, they're, they're kind of really true-life versions of themselves. Right. Um, you, you know, but... Of course, very exaggerated and with very specific character traits for the purpose of the story. But um, it's uh, the way they fight and the way they resolve. It's it's beautiful and it's so funny. So it's I don't know. It's chock full of those moments. Yeah, the, in in the the reading of it, to me the the final scene is definitely uh, that's the one that sticks out in my mind the most. Remembering it even from the first time I read it and knowing uh, Stephen and Emily as we do. Yeah. And getting to talk to them in real life enough, yeah, the thought of them acting that out yes. it has always made me smile. Like, okay, I can't wait to see that part for Ooh, sure. I mean, edge of my seat, too. even if people don't really, you know, they don't know what's coming, but I, ooh, here, here it is. Yeah. Here it is. We get to see it. Because I mean, there's really, so many things that occur in that exchange all in one little space, Yeah, like you're saying. So it's, you know, you and you can feel the different things running through the minds of the characters. And when you see it, I'm sure that'll make it even more, oh boy. drive yeah. home even more. We really focused on kind of, we didn't just isolate that scene, but we focused a lot on that scene last night. Oh, it's, it's, it's just everything they're saying. I mean, and honestly, the rest of the play is kind of just setting up for that scene, um, which is to not give the other characters or any of the stuff that happens earlier in the show short shrift. It's all well worth it. It's And it's beautiful writing. 
Um, but the heart of the play is that exchange. Yep. And it's lovely. So um, uh, kind of a, a two-pronged question to close. Uh, what, do you, what do you think will stand out most with audiences with this show? And then along the same lines, what are you hoping will resonate with audiences? I mean, what, they could be one and the same, but it's, sure. you know, what, what, I guess I'll ask the second one. What are you hoping will really resonate with audiences with this show? Well, again, you, you don't want to reveal too much about some of the stuff that's meant to be a surprise. Uh, in the last scene, but I do think that the overwhelming message, I think the thing that people need to come away from the show realizing is no matter where in the world you are, no matter how isolated your life and your style and the traditions around how you live might be, you can always be surprised. You can always be surprised by yourself, by the people around you, um, and if you're not willing to be open-minded, open-hearted, and accepting of others, but also just of yourself, then you're stifling some things that could really be beautiful. And I think that is what I think people will walk away from kind of feeling. Uh, that's my hope. Um, because they get to see an example of that played out in just a real beautiful way. I right. Think. So um, I, I do hope that there is a message there and it doesn't beat you over the head with it. You just get to kind of experience this moment in the lives of these people that I hope is really uplifting at the end because you see some aspects of these people's lives that are not necessarily all that uplifting. So to see how they manage to come out of it in a joyful way is, I think, uh, is probably my favorite thing about right. the story. No, it's, that's great. And, and I... I Really, it's it's one of those, you know, like I said, and not to sound make it sound, oh, you know, dramatic, but it's the the idea of, you know, a lot of times you can walk out of a show and it be, it's forgettable is not the right word, but it's sort of like, okay, I saw it, I enjoyed it, but a month from now, I won't remember a thing about it sure. other than sure. maybe the characters, uh, names or anything like that. I think this one, if you really come with the idea that I'm here and I'm going to soak myself in it for the 90 or so minutes mm -hmm, that it's sure. out there, yeah. you will remember elements of this show for a long time. I yeah. mean, like I said, even just reading it, I've never actually seen it. I can't wait to see it. But even just reading it, it has stuck with me yeah. for a couple of years now. So It, it is like experiencing a really well-written short story, I think. you know, Right. And it's... It's even if you don't remember a lot of the details of the story that kind of unfolds, because they talk about their past a lot, and you start connecting dots about things that happened earlier in their lives with things that are happening now and things that will happen in their future. But I, I think it's the feeling that you'll have coming out of it that I really think people won't forget. But yeah, I, I think you're right. There's not. It's not like the events in the story itself unfold some great plot. It's more about. Um, Again, it's the moments in time of these people's lives. It does tell a story. You know, it does tell a complete story with a beginning, a middle, and an end. But it's more just kind of you go along for the ride. You experience this, and it's it's. I think you'll leave with a feeling of uh, hopefully of being uplifted. Right. No, that's great. And so, to remind you, if you're listening, uh, we open March 17th, a week from today, and we will run through two weekends, as Marcus mm -hmm. said. With four performances one weekend and five the other, have we decided on the second Sunday weekend? Yeah, so um, 
another thing too is uh, the first Sunday, the twentieth. That is the date that we are calling our sensory friendly performance. Okay. Um, and just as an ad- advocate and as a you know autism father and an advocate for special needs community, that's a show where um, we might alter some of the effects in the show just to dampen them down and and the house lights tend to not go all the way out for that show and we do a particular outreach for um for our special needs community that might have sensory sensitivities um great opportunity for them to come see that day and not be stressed out about being um surrounded or for being plunged in the dark or worrying about am i going to be surprised by any kind of sensory overload also, uh, please call our box office if you are interested in getting discounted tickets. If um, you are someone who has sensory sensitivities or you have a loved one that is and you would like them to come see the show. Um, and then the second Sunday is a two-performance day. We have a, a regular 2.30 matinee, but then we have a 6.30 evening performance. Um, that's the one and only time that we change our evening performance time. Um, and that's our very final show of the run. So that is, uh, I believe it's the 27th, right? Sunday the 27th, 2.30 and 6.30. Also important to note, um, our first Saturday also happens to be the evening of our special gala here at the theater. So that is actually going to be a matinee performance. That's something we don't usually do. Right. So we have our uh, 17th is our opening night, the Thursday. Uh, 18th is our uh, Friday night show. And then we will do a Saturday matinee on that Saturday. Uh, and again, a matinee on that Sunday, which will also happen to be our sensory-friendly performance. And just to be clear on that, everyone is welcome at the sensory-friendly performance. I just like the people have understand those expectations that the presentation may be just slightly altered. Right. Nothing about the story will be changed. Right. Okay. No, it's uh, that's great. And... Uh... We, like Marcus said, call our box office or go to our website at gctcomeplay.org and order your tickets. Um, I would imagine that we're, we're going to have some, some full houses, especially the second weekend. Usually yes. what happens if it's a show not as many people have heard of, by the, the word of mouth gets out and the second and third, in this case the second weekend, but almost as many performances as the second and third together, generally those sell those sell pretty quick once it gets out because I think this show is going to be one of those for sure. I, I, this is going to be a word of mouth show. I think we're definitely going to see those people that have the opportunity to either see it in previews or see it opening night. I think we'll very quickly um, spread the word. I say that because it's not a very well-known title, but it's a really fantastic. Right. And that's that last performance that he mentioned on Sunday night at 6.30 on the 27th, theater people, we're looking at you. Mm-hmm. You can't say... I couldn't come because I have a show. <laughs> you can't say that. So unless somebody starts copying us and then we'll have to do, you know, Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. performances or something <laughs> like that, which I don't think that's going to work, but we'll see. So uh, a and if you really like Marcus and you don't think I'm a complete dirtbag, uh, he and I will be playing father and son in that's our next right. show. That's right. That's uh, right. So you will have to suspend disbelief a bit. Uh, but that's okay. That's what theater's all about, is the magic of live theater. Between (laughs) the closing of this show and the opening of the next. Yeah, so come see Bright Star after Outside Mullingar, another regional premiere, but definitely Mullingar, Outside Mullingar, give you the full name. Uh, It's a great show. We have a lot of talent in in the four actors that we do have. 
uh, and it's it's going to be a fabulous performance. So come out and join us. Thank you, Marcus, for joining us for this. Of course, thank you. Uh, I'm sure for Bright Star, Brian is directing that our executive dysfunction, uh, along with you and I in it. So yeah. we might do some kind of a roundtable version of that one. Um, so, but yeah, come out and join us. And uh, you know, thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you.